на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесь и плывут на зеленом ковре стадиона. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Sorry we haven't been with you for a while, but uh, as I've explained on previous podcasts, we do somehow have lives outside of Russian football, although Russian football is generally quite eventful, so I'm surprised that we managed to fit it in. But um, my usual guests are back this week after a great episode last time that we had with uh, David and Neil, but I've, I've had to return to my... Um, my regulars, who I won't call any other words, but that is, of course, uh, writer Andrew Flint. Hey, Thomas, good to be back. Good stuff. And, of course, we have the editor, the great Dane, Toka Thiele. Yeah, hey, Tom, I'm sorry you had to settle with me and Andrew today. I, I hope it'll be okay. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's uh, no, it's, it goes well. I hope you both enjoyed the last pod anyway. I thought it was really, really interesting, some of the stuff we discussed on there. So, good few topics today. Uh, we're going to discuss a, a bit of a controversial issue in Skarhabarovsk, not for the first time. Uh, we're going to look at Zenit as well, having a bit of a struggle at the moment. And then we're going to look at Ural with uh, Andrew, our Ural specialist, if you like. But first, um, let's talk about this Scar game. So, just for a bit of background for the listeners... Um, Lokomotiv were due to play in Khabarovsk against Skar, but were pretty annoyed about having to travel out there because of the cold weather. They'd seen Siska a couple of weeks ago suffer a couple of injuries, which they said were due to the cold weather. Um, Toka, you, of course, wrote a piece on this on the website, so perhaps you could give the listeners a more detailed explanation. Yeah, of course. It's, um, it's an interesting case, and I think it's very Russian as well. I mean, we had this game, the Siska game, which was played... Two, three weeks ago was in I think the the temperature was minus 17 degrees something like that and um, and both uh, Alexei Beresutsky and uh, Milanov were carried off the pitch with uh, with terrible injuries unfortunately which Siska then blamed on on the cold weather so after seeing how it affected Siska um, Lokomotiv tried to get the game either postponed to to the spring when the weather would be better or moved to either Moscow or Sochi where the pitch conditions and the weather was both better and, and a bit milder. Um, obviously, Lokomotiv argued with with the health of the players that wanted to, to take care of the players. They didn't want to risk anything. Um, but but both the Russian Football Union and, and SCA, of course, were, they were pretty pretty clear that that will not happen i mean as, as uh, the general director of scar said that has a football game ever been moved because of a weather forecast i mean it had to be the it had to be the referee who took the decision on the day of course they would meet they would follow all the uh, recommendations and regulations but they wouldn't they wouldn't move the game just because of the weather forecast and they wouldn't give up the home field which of course is is um is understandable and yeah the the debate went back and forward. I mean, Igor Lebedev from the, the Russian parliament said that the game was a disgrace for Russian football and that football shouldn't be played under such circumstances with a snowy pitch and, and ice cold. And the argument here, of course, was also that not only would the football itself be bad, the game would also be uninteresting for spectators watching on the television because obviously no fans would come to, to a football game when, when it's minus, minus 20 degrees outside in an open stadium with no heating or anything. Um, but yeah, uh, the Russian football union were quite uh, clear that they wouldn't move the game; that uh, it had to be played in Khabarovsk, uh, and unless the, the unless the weather really was um, a problem on, the, on a specific match day, then the, under no circumstances would it be moved. And if it would be moved, it would be it would still be played in, in Khabarovsk. Uh, last season, though, Lokomotiv played a game; they were supposed to play a game, I should say, against uh, Tomtomsk in Siberia, but that game was moved to to Moscow, 
and Lokomotiv won 6-1 in a game that was supposed to be an away game, but which turned into a home game. So that was, of course, also sort of an unfair advantage, and, and that was also part of the part of the debate here, that if Khabarov can play the games at home, obviously they would have a disadvantage compared to compared to the teams in the bottom, but Lokomotiv would also gain an advantage compared to the other teams in the top if they only had to play 14, 14 uh, away games, or if they had to play 16 home games instead of 15 that they did last season. So yeah, it, it went back and forward, and, and I think the major issue here is, or the major topic for discussion is should should Russia even follow the current calendar? Should they play in the in the winter like they do now, or should they go back to to the old schedule where they played, where the season followed the calendar year, so they played a lot of games in the spring and during the summer, and then stop the season in in, um, in November like they did until 2011, and like they still do in Norway, Sweden, Kazakhstan, and many other many other northern countries. Just before we get to that calendar discussion, which is a fascinating one, obviously. Andrew, I want to sort of come to you on this. I'm looking at the previous fixture list from earlier in the season. Loco were at home to Scar in August. Would it not have made more sense for the, the people who do the fixtures to reverse those two games? This could have just been sorted out a lot earlier. I know the only thing then you would say is that the other teams would complain that their fixtures were switched. Do you see what I'm saying? That their fixtures weren't switched, even like Siska, we had the example earlier. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think... Um I think that's a fair point, Thomas, because the look the, in the end, this is a human game. These are these are people, and yes, injuries do happen, and and fans matter in the stadium. So um, I think really common sense should come into it. I know there's you know a lot of leagues, um, pretty much every league, I, as far as I understand, has a sort of automated fixture list generator. Um, but does it really have to be reliant on that? Can we can we not do what you you suggested? Um, what I would simply say is there's two things actually I'd say on this. Firstly, it's don't you don't you find it slightly well amusing how all of this fuss has suddenly been brought up a few days before the game when they knew about the fixture months ago, but they didn't think to actually kick up a fuss about it then. Um, and secondly, it's just that you know a bit of common sense could just say look. We know when the temperatures are going to be like in Havarovsk. Everybody else, you're just going to have to accept that they're going to play away games for for December or for the last three or four games before the winter break. That's not beyond the realms of possibility. Um, I mean, when we get on to the matter of the actual calendar itself, I have fairly strong views on that. But um, yes, Thomas, basically, I agree with you. I think common sense could have prevailed, um, but not only could have prevailed, could have prevailed months ago. Andrew, I'm going to come to you with the same question in a minute, but I'm going to go to Toka first. Do you have any sympathy with Lokomotiv's original cause of trying to get this game postponed? Because read your, your article, by the way, everyone should check the article out on the website, Russian Football News. Um, if it's gone off the initial homepage, if you just Google Russian Football News, Scar Lokomotiv, it's the first article on your Google search. But um, if you do you have any sympathy with that? Because I was reading it and I actually saw a lot of the Scar points and I thought, well, that's pretty fair, to be honest. Well, I think both both teams have uh, they do make a lot of sense, and um, I think there's definitely a major risk against the players when you play in these temperatures and under these conditions. I mean, that's that's just a fact that it is very difficult to play when it's minus twenty degrees. And I think everybody who has tried to be outside, even just in a normal winter day when it's minus a couple of degrees, know that the body just reacts differently. And when you play on a stone hard pitch, it it just increases the the chances of injuries. 
when that's said, I mean, I think <laughs> Ska is the, is the team suffering the most here. I mean, yeah, it, it's pretty bad for, for Locomotive to play this one game, but this is the same argument every time we talk about uh, about Ska, really. It's it's like this for, for, for all their games. I mean, they had to play one of these games against Cisco two weeks ago as well, so... For them, it's they they have a much bigger risk than Locomotive does, um, and I agree with you when you said that that the Russian calendar should be planned better, because it's not like this is a one-time thing. It it doesn't surprise anybody that it's actually cold in the Far East at this time, or that the Russian winter is coming. I mean, every single year it gets cold around October, November, so you should be able to to plan a bit ahead. I mean, we still have pitches, uh, stadiums where there's not really any heating in the pitch as well, so. It would make sense to try to plan the calendar a bit. So we have certain teams who play some home games um, or play away games at the in the in the winter, and then they have more more home games during the the summer when the weather is better. Of course, it's not the perfect solution because it does make the calendar a bit unfair to have to to have like this. But I mean, for example, a couple of years ago when Spartak were waiting for the new stadium to open, we did see them start the season with, I think it was seven away games or something like that, because they were waiting for the home ground to be ready. So the Russian football union has proved that they are flexible when, when it comes to these matters. And for example, if you look at the European competitions as well, every single year we see that the Russian clubs and the Ukrainian clubs, they don't play at home in the, in the last stage of the, of the, group, of the group stage. So on match day six, they know that, okay, they're going to play away because the weather is simply too risky to, to play a home game at that stage. So it it, it just should be it, it should be realistic to, to play in a calendar where you try to get a few more games in, in the south of Russia and try to avoid the, the areas where you just know there's a major risk of it being cold and perhaps even the game being cancelled because obviously... Russia will never the Russian Premier League will never finish if they move all the games because it's cold. Then might as well just play ten games and then under the current schedule and then call it that because you can't avoid the cold in Russia, unfortunately. So let's get on to that calendar discussion now because obviously in 2011 it got changed round and the justification at the time, Andrew. Although I'm, I'm going to ask, actually, I've just realised I said I'd ask you the question. So if you remember my initial question, which is something like. Uh, do you basically agree with Scar's reasoning on this? Which you'll, you'll get to answer, don't worry. But also, talking about the calendar, <laughs> it was at the time, I think the reasoning was that it would benefit the clubs playing in Europe. And we haven't seen that. And actually, it's just been a downturn, if anything, for clubs in Europe. And it hasn't yeah. benefited the Russian League at all. Well, yeah, I think that reasoning is it's just farcical, really. I don't even know why they consider that. Because even if there had been an upturn in fortune, what they're kind of missing is the most obvious point, which is exactly what Toka just said. There is, it's always going to be cold in winter in Russia. Whatever happens, there's going to be a break in play at the stage coming up to the knockouts of European competition. It makes absolutely no difference, in my in my view, Um it's nothing to do with mental preparation because whatever happens, you're not going to have played for three months. Whether it's in the middle or at the end of a season, that doesn't help you with European preparation. Um, that that itself is just is, is farcical. Um, so, I mean, the, the thing for me is it's just common sense, and I know that's a dangerous term to use when we talk about Russian football. We've we've moaned about the lack of common sense numerous times, um, but. You know, the, the, re- the reality is 
the, the attendance at, um, for Havaras home games has dropped from something like an average of about nine or 10,000 from the first two or three home games uh, to about 4,000 in December. Well, it's, it doesn't take a genius to work out why. And they've not been playing terrible football. Um, if anything, they've been one of the more entertaining sides at home. So the quality of entertainment on display has not dropped significantly. Um, and Tesco and Locomotive are two of the biggest sites in the country, and they still got lowest crowds. It's because of the temperatures. So the calendar, oh, I don't know. It just, it really, I can't see how an argument can be made for maintaining this European, this European calendar. Um, the only only small thing I'd say is when you factor in international breaks and international tournaments, if we do revert to a Soviet calendar again, then when it comes to European Championships and World Cups, it automatically disrupts that you know six, seven, eight-week period with preparation and World Cup itself. Um, but I'd say that, look, that's a price to pay. You'd still be able to make a better fist of it by doing the Soviet calendar. It's, it's as simple as that for me. So let's, seeing as we've got Toga here, of course, would you say, I mean, Andrew talks about the Euros and the World Cups, and of course that is an issue. Is that seen as a major issue in sort of Scandinavian countries? I mean, I, I, I prefer I prefer the, the, the current calendar. I mean, in general, I think it just makes sense the way the European competition and everything is built up. But Russia and the Scandinavian countries, it just... You just can't compare it to, for example, France or Spain or whatever, because the weather is it's so different there. And I think it makes a lot of sense to, to play a lot of football games when the weather is actually nice. I think one of the best things about football is football is supposed to be to watch the stadiums. Football is supposed to be watched in live and not in front of TVs or in front of computer screens. But when you play in the minus 15 degrees, I think it's understandable that <laughs> that people don't don't attend the games. And I really think you have to make the most of the of the period of the year where the weather is nice. So it's about playing as many games as possible during the spring, during the summer. Of course, you would have these interruptions for international tournaments, but I think that's a, that's a fine price to fine price to pay. And and I don't really hear any Swedes or Norwegians complain that much about it. Of course, it's not it's not perfect. Also, because you qualify for the Champions League or the Europa League in November, then you have to wait seven months until the qualification starts and it can be difficult for the teams to to keep the squads together and it's difficult to because it's difficult to sign players in January you have to pay more and you risk losing important players mid-season, but I think that's just the way you have, I think you just have to accept these things because, because the weather of Russia is it's not going to change, so you just have to adjust to it, unless the decide to build 15 stadiums they can you where well, they can play inside like in Yekaterinburg, then yes that's not there's no way around it. I mean you have to make the most of the of the good month and, and I think it makes perfect sense to go back to to the old calendar. The problem of course is that it was it was such a <laughs> a struggle to, to change the calendar. Did they play forty eight games, something like that, during that monster season when, when they adjusted the calendar, but that's that's a one time one time thing of course. So it it's it, I think it's doable. So, I mean, obviously, sort of common sense says that they should bring it back. But in terms of practicalities, you just mentioned it there. Considering it's only changed, what, six years ago, can you actually see them bringing it back any time, the Russian Football Union, particularly after this sort of, this argument from Loco, if you like? No, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll change anytime soon. It'll, I mean, both we have this problem with organising the whole change. 
but there's also a sense of pride. I mean, the Russian football union would have to admit that they made a, and the Premier League would have to admit, admit that they made a huge mistake when they changed the calendar. And I think there's a sense of pride that hosts them from doing that in the near future. And Andrew, just getting your take on this as like two men when you go and watch two men. By the way, RFN podcast bingo there mentioning two men. But um, <laughs> just looking at Scar there, you've obviously got quite a similar situation in two men. Has there really ever been that many complaints surrounding that that you're aware of? But although because it's the Feniel or below, it's much, seen much more as a f- just a fact of life really. Whereas Scar's promotion to the uh, Premier League was, of course, a bit of a, a rarity, if you like, in that sense. Well, I mean, no, basically, is the short answer. Um, I mean, at Fennel level, the attendances obviously are much lower. Um, Chumen get about 1, 1,500. And I remember the Angie Mahachkala game um, when Yannick Bolly was playing that team uh, a couple of seasons ago, uh, two or three seasons ago, actually. And, you know, I went to the stadium and it was just you would not believe the amount of snow there was. They were clearing snow off the pitch um, and it was landing faster than they were clearing it off. But eventually, after three hours of clearing it, um, they got the game on and the, the crowd was about a normal size. It was about 1,000 people, 1,200 people. Um, and it was just sort of, yeah, people enjoyed it. They enjoyed the, even by even by Chumen standards, the novelty of playing in such horrendously cold conditions. And, you know, it's, there is an acceptance of it. Like Toka says, there's, there's not much you can do. It's never going to be a perfect season for, in all aspects. And the weather certainly is one of those things. But there can be there can be ways to avoid the worst of it. I think that's just the main point, really. Um, but now, at Fennel level, I can't speak for all clubs, but certainly it seems that, look, it's just accepted. We've just got to get on with it. Most of the pitches are poor, poor quality or artificial and and cause a lot of injuries, just like Loco were complaining about or in anticipation of it. Um, yeah, people get on with it um, because whatever, whatever choice is there. Um, but, yeah, I, I actually agree with Toka on the matter of will the RFU, the Russian Football Union, actually change again. Um, we know that they don't like to move quickly over matters. Uh, um, and they're fairly stubborn beasts, so I don't see it changing, unfortunately. Although, like you say, common sense screams out that it should do. I mean, we've got, I mean, like Andrew says, a lot of the sort of the lower league clubs see it as sort of sort of a get on with it type of thing. I mean, Toko, you mentioned in your article about sort of um, the bigger clubs in the winter break going out, going abroad to get sort of to much plushier training venues. Uh, Zenit often go to Dubai and that fantastic training facility, along with Bayern, for example. Lots of the lower clubs can't afford that. So is this from Loco perhaps a bit of big club arrogance? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, clubs are locomotable. I guess they will always complain more more than, uh, than they used to, uh, more, uh, more, than the, more than the small clubs. Clubs. Uh, also, I guess it's because they have they have players who are worth much more. They have much more to lose if, if they get injuries. Perhaps um, I saw an in, I saw an interesting um, graphic on, on Twitter the other day with uh, with Jefferson Fofana, obviously one of the big stars from uh, from Lokomotiv. Before the Khabarov game, first he had to travel to Peru to play a, a World Cup qualifier. Then he travelled to New Zealand. Then he travelled back to Moscow and then to Khabarov. Uh, so he basically went around the world during those 14, 14 days. So. That was. I mean, I understand why they're why they're careful. I understand why they try to to push things in, in that advantage. But yeah, that's 
it, it is locomotive and, and they are a bit spoiled with these things. I mean, uh, we've seen it in the past as well where they complain. We saw with Villas Boas who complained a lot at Senate, even though he was in charge of both the richest and, and the most powerful club in the country. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a major sense of arrogance in this in this case. As soon as you mentioned Villas Boas there, my eyes just rolled, to be honest. But I love the fact that you mentioned the Farfan journeys and he still scored that 93rd minute in Habarov. So I think that's a great effort. I mean, Andrew, we mentioned about the European football earlier, and um, in the British press particularly, there's been a lot of uh, good praise of Ostersunds, and we've mentioned there about the Swedish league and how well Ostersunds are doing. And they're at much lower level than these um, these Russian teams like Zenit and Lokomotiv, for example. In terms of budget, they're a lot lower, but they're still performing well in Europe, which to me shows that switching back to the sort of the the cross year calendar if you like rather than the sync rather than the standard calendar what you call the soviet calendar switching back to the regular one shows that it doesn't actually improve european football at all uh well precisely i mean you know other clubs other countries um i mean temperatures in sweden may not quite get to minus 17 i don't know perhaps they do in the in north of sweden um but you know that that proves the point exactly um I mean, I just think too much emphasis was placed on that reason um, when it was switched originally. Um, you know, I, I've spoken to a few people about this recently, and to be fair, I've been I've been a very staunch advocate of this returning to a Soviet calendar um, for a long time. But I, I've been sort of not swayed, but influenced a little bit by the point, you know, with the World Cup next year. Now, if you think for the international tournaments, European tournaments, which you would hope Russia would be involved in, um, every other year, that would mean an absolute bare minimum of six weeks, realistically seven weeks, when you take out the preparation time and the tournament itself. Um, That would be quite a significant take. Um, But I'd still, still say that, you know, if you actually put the bulk of fixtures in the warmer months, you can have a few more midweek rounds of games in the months between, say, May and October. Um, so that, you know, when it gets to the colder times, you don't need to cram in too many fixtures. You just still be able to cope with it. It's just... I, don't know, I just get exasperated. It's, it happens every time we get on this bloody pod. Um, anytime we talk about Russian football. Um, just why can common sense not prevail? You know, it, I just don't... There's no argument against it. I'm sorry, but I just it, it winds me up no end. Yeah, well, I think it's... I, I really don't buy the European club advantage argument either. I think it's... I think, yeah, for example, Östersund is a, is a good example of of a club showing differently. But the best examples, of course, we have to look a bit back in, back in history. But I think it's worth mentioning that, that both Siska and Senate won the UEFA Cup during the old calendar. And clearly it wasn't a disadvantage to them. Also, Russia's by far best uh, performance since the dissolution of the, of the Soviet Union came under the old calendar. That was in Euro 2008. I think it can actually be an advantage, maybe not for the clubs, but especially for the for the national team because they, they will be a bit fresher. They will be more ready for international tournaments during the summer instead of you see the English players, the Spanish players. They, they are often exhausted and, and really worn down after a long season. But then you would have these Russian players who... If, if they still play in Russia at the time, of course, let's hope that some of them have moved abroad. But in general, I mean, we'll have Russian players who have only played half a season, who'll be fresher, who'll be in perhaps better shape, fewer injuries because they haven't played throughout the winter. So I think it could be, actually be an advantage for the national team to go back to the old calendar. And yeah, I think the, yeah, the European argument is, 
that's that's just uh, I think you can't use that. It's simply not a serious argument in this case because history just proves exactly the opposite. That I mean, Toka, that perfectly segues into our next topic of Zenit, who many are saying are in crisis. Of course, they lost the big derby to uh, Spartak Moscow on Monday night. Uh, people saying they're in an incredibly bad run of form with very few wins. Uh, the Premier League record, I think they've got one win sort of in the last seven games, I think it is. Uh, their last win came against the 5-0 against Tottenham, which seemed to bring them out of a rut. And, Andrew, people are talking of a Zenit crisis. But from my point of view, I'm thinking still second in the league and it's six points off top and I'm thinking they always get sort of this bad around winter so it's not that much of a surprise and they could still bring it back next next year well I actually agree with you um, I, I think yes it is it's not a full blown crisis it is a obviously a very bad run of results for, for a club of any stature you know you, you don't you don't win a couple of games so- Okay, here or there, a couple of injuries, um, it has been very good but um, you've got to look at some of the games we draw a few weeks ago, the, the 2-2 draw. Um, now, on paper, that's a game everybody was saying, okay, at the time, Andrew, you were in dreadful run of form, but it just started to pick up. Um, and away, away from home, a point you can you can live with those. They drew nil nil with CSK Moscow, who's put four past Havarts recently, um, not that long ago. Drawing away Kazan, okay, Ruben are not a great run of scoring for, but they're a very difficult side to, to beat um, when they're in the mood. Um, and they did thrash Tottenham, and he put put it in that sort of context. Um, yeah, Spartak won, but minus that goal in the ninety eighth minute. Um, Zanit were not outplayed for the entire game. For, for the first half, probably they were. But they certainly came back from fighting in the second half. So it's not like they're playing terribly. They're not that far off beating most teams um, that they face. So I agree with you. I don't think it's a full-blown crisis at all. But I do think it puts their title hopes probably in the balance at the moment. I think Spartak have got the momentum. And as things stand, unless there's any great change... I think Spartak are more likely to challenge um, at the moment. I, for some reason, I don't quite think um, Cisco uh, trust one, um, but I think Spartak are likely to overtake this round. But who knows? Zanita, look at the squad Zanita got. It's always going to be a relevant point now. So, no, not a crisis. I mean, Toka, do you echo Andrew's thoughts there, or are you actually a bit more worried? Because I mentioned that uh, winter crisis that we're so used to, and that piece is still on the website, by the way, um, about Zenit's. I think we published that about a year ago, and it's happened again this year. And I say they could perhaps bring it back in spring, but going by Zenit tradition, that's not usually the case. No, I think uh, I think Andrew just proved once again why he's, he's known as the, at the podcast. At the podcast podcast optimist I think he he's very nice to send it right now <laughs> I think this is a crisis I mean we're talking about a club who spent millions of euros on new players who have by far the, the strongest squad in, in the league and they have lost at home to us they have been they have lost to the two biggest rivals championship match, match. they lost uh, 3-0 at home to Lokomotiv they lost to Spartak last week that's that game that's simply game they can to, to lose. Okay, they did draw against Cesc Moscow away. That's that's a fine result. And drawing against Rubin, yeah, 
that, that happens sometime, I guess, but it's, it's simply not good enough. And it, it, it is a major problem for Senate that every single year, as you said, it's, it's not a new thing. The Senate problem, it's a Senate problem that every single year they simply just they start dropping. As soon as the calendar says October and it gets a bit cold, they just drop one point after another. So I think it can, when, we, when we go back to this discussion, we just had Senate should probably just uh, push the calendar because this playing in November, December, that's definitely hurting their chances for the, winning the championship. And however, I think it, it's, um, I saw a statistic the other day, it's actually interesting that uh, every, last year we were very much against Luchesko. That's no secret. He, he received a lot of bad talk on this podcast and in, among Russian football fans and followers in general. And Mancini has actually collected fewer points at this stage of the season than uh, Luchesko did last season. But he's, he still seems to be to be uh, supported by both the club and the fans. But they can't go on like this. I mean, soon questions will be raised, especially compared to, to the massive transfer spree that went on this, this summer. Do you think Mancini's next on the line, Andrew, or do you think that's too far? And the other question I'd ask is, with Italy not qualifying for the World Cup, a lot of people have touted him for the Italy job, and he's been linked with several English jobs when they've come up. Do you think he's slightly distracted by that, perhaps? You may have a point there, to be honest, Thomas. I think um, I think there are some parallels I've drawn to the way Luchescu accepted the job last year and Mancini this year. Then that both came with, you know, knowing they were coming in as big managerial names with big reputations, a lot of experience, um, and expected, I think, expected um, success to come rather easily to them. The fact that this is now a real challenge of Mancini's managerial ability, um, for me, the bizarre choice to, you know, reintegrate Artem Zuber into the side when there really was no need to at the time. They've got plenty of um, much more mobile players who fit the system they were playing early in the season to such great effect. They could still rotate players and not need um, to play Zuber. Um, I think that's a tactical failing of his, but I don't think it's going to remain a tactical failing of his because he's, he's more intelligent than that. Is his neck on the line? Well, it's, it's, always going to be, it's always going to be an issue that's raised when the results are poor. Now, um, I, I mean, OK, I said this isn't a crisis. I mean, that's a full-blown crisis. I don't think it is, but it is a very urgent need to be addressed. Um, and I'm sure Zadik will be, you know, anxious. But the point is, what will they gain from, from firing him at this point? Who will they bring in? Who do they have? They have to have somebody lined up. And at this stage of the season... Um, it's going to be very difficult to find somebody who is going to be um, of the right frame of mind, the right quality, the right experience. So I don't think his neck is on the line, but him being distracted himself, possibly, who knows, it could be something that he's looking at. So, yeah, I, th- I think maybe he is distracted, um, but he certainly has it within his power. The question is, is he motivated to do that? The only thing I would say, Toka, just to sort of round off this Zenit topic, in the league, things are going pretty badly. But in Europa League, I mean, I, I take it they're, not in the, they're obviously not in the strongest group. But would you say they're finding some sort of escapism in that competition? Currently top of the table, of course, through to the next round, all sorted. Yeah, it's, it, it's good. And perhaps it's because they're playing in slightly milder temperatures. They did play 1-1 one, one away in Rosenberg, where they were really, really lucky to get a point, actually. I think it was Kukurin who, who equalized in the, in the dying minutes of the game. But, yeah, it's, it, it's good for Sim that they have the Europa League going on and they can, they can get some confidence playing, playing abroad. But 
Sinners should really advance from that group, so I don't want to read too much into it. They did a, we can also just go back a few weeks, and they did only win two at home against Vada, so it's not like they're blowing up the Europa League anymore. They did in the, at the start of the campaign, but but also in the Europa League, they have they have slowed down recently. So um, so yeah, it it, it is um, it's not only a Russian problem, but it is a central problem at the moment, and it is in in all tournaments. It will be interesting to see how they play. Uh, I think next week when they play away against Real Sociedad, it should be in pretty good conditions in Spain. So hopefully all the Argentinians will <laughs> will feel a bit better when they play under the sun instead of uh, in, in, in the snow. Yeah, that's, that's a point well made. Now moving on to the final topic, Andrew, there's a reason we have you on and it's for your expertise in Ural, Yekaterinburg. Now, a couple of weeks ago on the pod that David was on, we talked about Arsenal Tula, who I said perhaps having the most surprising season. Now I sort of matched them up with Ural at the time. Obviously, since then, they've had a bit of a losing run, which I'm sure you can run us through. But in t- would you say that despite that, the season's still been a success? Because David said, <laughs> this is his words, you can argue with him, not me. He said that Ural have played badly and they've been lucky to be where they are. <laughs> There's a reason why David's an Arsenal fan as well, you see. Um, but uh, I'm the English Arsenal I'm talking about there. But anyhow, um, no, they, they, they haven't played badly. Um, they're not good away from home. Um, but they've what they've done very well is that they've managed on, basically without spending anything on transfers, they sold Chisamba Lungu, um, which actually... Although he's a cult hero, he's the only player to have a giant picture of him as a mural inside the players' tunnel at the SKB Bank Arena. Um, he'd been at the club for seven, eight years, I think it is, and they sold him for about half a million euros. Um, and the players they brought in, Petrus Bumal, came from absolutely nowhere. Um, Alexei Yevseev is, is having a great run of form. Vladimir Ilyin came from Kuban Krasada, who was struggling, um, and he scored four or five goals when he came last season, I know. But um, the team that Tahanov has moulded, is, is they, they have a really, really simple 4-2-3-1. Everybody knows their role. There's a, there's a few players with a bit of X-factor in there. Nikolai Dimitrov cutting in from the right wing on his left foot. Um, Eric Bigfalvi, of course. Um, and it's a really good balance. They they do play they do play good football. Um, David, I think, has a bit of a crusade against Doral for some reason. But um, away from home, they they don't play expansive football. So okay, for for some games, they don't play the most attractive football. No, but um, they're a very effective team. Um, and you know, we lost at home to Krasnodar on Sunday, and it was a very entertaining game despite the cold temperatures. Um, Tahanov likes to go for it. He likes to go for the win. He doesn't just wrap up, um, you know, wrap up his players and part the bus um, for a draw. He never does that. He always goes for the win. So, um, yeah, it's been a great season for us. Um, mid-table security is is fantastic. Europa League chasing it is a bit unrealistic. It's a bit above our station. So, um, yeah, it's been a fantastic season by our standards. I mean, Andrew talks about the X-Factor players, but I'm just going to completely... I don't know. I don't want to, I was about to say something terrible, but you know what I mean. Um, he's going to rain on his parade. That's that's the politically correct term without using offensive language. But um, I'm looking at the last two results, and they haven't scored in the last two. And I know 20 goals in 18 games is quite high by Russian standards, really, even for quite a top team. I mean, you look at third Siska, they've only got 22 in 18 games. 
But do you think they lack something up front? To, because they've had nine draws in their 18 games. That's obviously 50%. Do you think they're missing something there just to sort of nudge them over the line in a few games? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's it's quite obvious that Ural lacks quite a bit to compete with the best teams in Russia, and especially in the striking uh, department. Actually, most Russian teams lack a proper strike, and that's why I think one of the main reasons why I see so few goals and why when we have a team that really does surprise, it's because usually because they have a striker who, who scored 15, 10, 15, uh, 20 goals in the season. But yeah, they're just very rare in Russia. And I think Ilyin has scored once this season. They have put Yakin as well, who hasn't scored at all. So it is it is very difficult for them when they don't, first of all, don't create that many chances. And once they do, they don't really convert that well. So it is tough. It, it, but it's not only a Ural problem. It's it's a general problem among the, the smaller clubs in Russia that we can really only count on goals from, from the big clubs, unfortunately. And... Um, yeah, we see clubs like Ahmad, Ufa, or Arsenal, Ural, Rostov. I mean, all of them, most of them average around one goal per game. Many of them actually average fewer than one goal per game. So, yeah, it's, it's just not, it's not just Ural, it's, it's Russia in general. And Andrew, you talk about the away form, and they've only won one away game since August, and that was against Rubin back in September. So even since then, it's been pretty bad. I, I take the point that they've only played three Premier League games since then on the road. But what would you say they need to adjust to perhaps get something away? I mean, they've got Zenit away next, obviously, a disc one, then Siska after the winter break. So over that winter period, the break there, what do you think they should be looking at to try and sort their away form out? Well, I mean, Toko's uh, absolutely right. The, the a proven goal scorer is, right, well, obviously, any club in the world, in any league, would value that, but particularly so in Russia. Um, realistically, Spartak Grognev was the last... Um, genuine goal scorer that um, well, have. he really was towards the end of his or the useful part of his career should we say before he left to Kuban um, so what they need Vladimir and I have a lot of time for him he's a very intelligent runner he, he's, he's not a very bulky forward but he does have a lot of strength for his size um, I wonder whether perhaps he can be taught to be more selfish because a lot of the time with the, what they'll have is a lot of attacking midfielders. Georgi Chantoria is another. He's had his injury problems, so when he can come back to full fitness, that will actually help a lot. I'm caught between two minds. A proven goal scorer would be a godsend, um, and it threw it into very painful, sharp relief when we saw, of course, our former legend Fyodor Spolov back on his old stomping ground um, at the weekend. Uh, when when he was there and he scored six goals in the second half of the season three years ago. Finally got his award as well. And he got his award, yeah. Um, He speaks perfect English, by the way. Um, Delightful chap. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, absolutely fluent. Um, Really fluent. Um, And very grateful to receive such a prestigious award, of course. Didn't he he say Um, something like, it's a year late or something like that? Well, yeah, he, he took a look at it and um, he said, well, hang on, this is 2016, that's from a year ago. And I said, well, I tried to catch you last time, Fjordor. And he said, ah, I, I, I said you were injured. He said, no, 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 I was suspended. It's like, oh, bollocks, in the presence of, pardon me, <laughs> oh dear, I meant to say. Um, <laughs> in the presence of the great man, I've, um, I've got my facts slightly wrong. But anyway, I, I, I digress slightly. You ask what could be done. Um, I think the answer is one of two things. Get a proven goal scorer, but then that's virtually impossible in the market, in the winter market. Uh, secondly, I'd say teach Vladimir Ilyin to be more selfish. 
because there are plenty of creative players behind him. Um, he drops off, he runs the wide channels a bit too much, perhaps, uh, and we don't commit enough men into the box, I think. So, teach Ilian to be more selfish because he's got the confidence, he's got the strength, and he can score goals, even though he's only scored once this season. He's got the ability, so that's what I would say. And just uh, just as we I mentioned that we spoke about Arsenal Tuller on the last podcast, I'm going to come to you as well on this, Andrew. As a direct comparison toker, just to finish off this all-out topic, who would you say are the bigger surprise? I mean, I don't want to celebrate mid-table mediocrity because they're sitting 8th and ninth, which isn't fantastic, obviously. But they're doing well for what they are, let's be fair. So would you say that the shock of the season is more for Arsenal Tula or Ural? I'd say Arsenal. I think Ural have, Ural have been a, a good, a, not a good team, a decent team in the Premier League for many years. They were in the cup final just last year. So I kind of expect Ural to do well, to be a difficult place to, to be a difficult team to meet and, and to finish relatively safe mid-table. But I think Arsenal and Tula being on 24 points and being eight points ahead of um, of relegation, I think that's that's quite an achievement. And, and I'm, I'm surprised with that. So I definitely think Arsenal is a bigger surprise, but that's also because I have much higher expectations for Ural. So, yeah, I don't want to talk Ural down. It's just I'm surprised by Arsenal. And, Andrew, I know it will break your heart, but, I mean, personally, I agree with that. Would you, would you go there as well? Well, actually, no, that doesn't break my heart because it shows you guys have the adequate amount of respect for what a great club Ural are and the standards that they have nowadays. But uh, uh, I love how you say <laughs> adequate respect, not like high respect, but adequate. Well, it's, it's, it'll do for now. You know, Once you see the true quality over another few years, then you'll come to learn, like I know that. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I won't be biased. I won't be too biased. Um, I, I actually do agree. Um, I do think Arsenal are the surprise of the mid-table. Actually, no, I'm going to slightly change that. For me, it's Ufa. Um But of the two, Arsenal certainly. Um, I do I do genuinely expect it. It is partly biased, but I do think Oral have the quality. And I've seen it over some time. That the system is there. Tahanov is a popular character. Um, he may not have all the tactical nails of other coaches, but he's a popular character who motivates them well. Um, and he brings to youth very effectively so I, I expected them to make some progress from just scraping past relegation Arsenal Tula I thought would be entertaining strugglers but they'd be more than that so yeah I'd have to go along with that and agree that Arsenal Tula are the biggest surprise package uh, I mean Andrew you nearly led us down a treacherous Ufa theme path there but it's a shame we haven't really got to go into that because we've come to the end of the podcast, unfortunately. And of course, uh, leads me to thank my two guests. And uh, just before we go, just because we haven't been on for a while, let's sort of advertise our personal social medias because we're so vain and we need everyone to follow us. So let's have Toka first. Thank you for the introduction, Thomas. I am uh, definitely Wayne, so you should uh, you should all go follow me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Toka, T-O-K-E, Thelade, which is uh, T-H-E-I-L-A-D-E. Perfect. And uh, Andrew? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Andrew M-I-J Flint. Okay, perfect. And of course, do follow uh, me if you fancy, Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. That's Thomas underscore Giles, which is G-I-L-E-S underscore UK. So, of course, but more importantly than our personal ones, do follow the uh, the Russian Football News club not club <laughs> profiles on uh, facebook we've just searched russian football news on facebook uh, at russ football news on twitter russian football news uh, youtube page uh, russian football news on contact here and russ football news on instagram and do subscribe to this podcast as part of the world football index so thank you for listening and we will see you on the next podcast <laughs>
мяч, летит над полем мяч. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. 